Josh Reed is back in action today. We are back in action. HHMC, fresh episode coming to you. We are talking about strength training. We are talking about pulling in particular. So that means deadlifts and pull-ups. And as a lot of us are getting back into the gym, it's important to focus on some of the fundamentals, really dive into the form of the deadlift, form for the pull-ups, how to progress them, how to make sure that you're doing everything safely, when you should move up, when you should regress back down to other movements that might be a little bit more beneficial to you. Uh, Some gyms seem to be opening across country. We just got an announcement here in Philadelphia that there are going to be some gyms opening uh, over in the next week or so, which is great. Um, But it's important that we are being safe both from a COVID standpoint and also from a physical standpoint, making sure that we are taking care of the things that we can. Um, which is form and progression. So we do a deep dive on those things. So a lot of cool takeaways. If you liked the kettlebell episode, you will really like this one as well. But man, it felt good to have my main guy, Josh Reed, back on the other side with a microphone in his hand. And it was a good one. So let's get to it. So we're recording and you just had a cool trip this past weekend, right? Tell us about a little bit what you were doing. It looked it looked fun. It looked like Dude, a lot of good positive energy coming out. Super fun. Lots of positive energy. Very tiring. Uh, yeah. Uh, me and a bunch of homeboys, a bunch of mostly just like fit guys running. And Monica. Monica came along. She was a great. I saw. I, was, and, uh, I, I wanted to like comment. <laughs> on her. Like, How did you handle all of that man that was at that? It was like just seven bros, no shirts, nothing going on, and just and just Monica. I was like, wow, good for her. Yeah, she, dude, yeah, she's too cool, man. She would, uh, she'd like ride her bike or ride her bike next to us on a like some of the easier runs, like on the rail trail, or she'd just go and do her own thing. But, uh, but yeah, we had a rocking time. Like day one, we got out there on Tuesday. We ended up spending five days out there. We went and hit Franconia Ridge Loop, which is, uh, this was up in the White Mountains in New Hampshire. So Franconia Ridge is a really popular spot. I think it's one of the more popular hikes, like up in the Northeast. And uh, we, me and this guy Steve, who's a really talented athlete, he's not into OCR yet. We're trying to get him there. Uh, we wanted to go, we were like racing each other and we wanted to go for the FKC and we both got it, but he, uh, he obliterated it. I mean, he had such a good day. He was on fire. Yeah. I mean, he was like two minutes faster on the, on the, cause there's segments, you know, there's like a, the climb segment, the flat segment and the downhill segment, which is just up across and down beautiful, really cut, cut to the chase loop. Really cool. Like, uh, 4,000 feet of gain, eight miles. But yeah, he was like two minutes faster than me on the climb, two minutes faster across the top and like, and three minutes faster on the downhill. He had a mind smoked it down. Wow. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It was super impressive. I mean, my legs were, my legs were shot the next day. Like my downhill legs, I actually, the next day we went out on a run and I ate shit in front of everybody. We were like starting to bomb it downhill and I just didn't, <laughs> didn't pick my leg up enough. But it's okay. I did like a sweet cat roll out of my fall. You know how to fall. I don't know how to fall. That's a skill. I definitely learned how to fall like from BMX and stuff. 100%. I wish I had that because I'm not confident in how I would fall going downhill. So it makes me more hesitant to do it. Um, but that was one of the main objectives that you wanted to get from this trip, right? You wanted to go after that? Yeah. That was like, that was my A race. Yeah, that was my A race, uh, considering none of the actual like OCR races were going on. So yeah, I trained specifically for that. Like, I decided four weeks out that I was like, okay, this is the next four weeks dedicated to this event and like did a proper taper going into it. And uh, I feel like I could have gone a little faster, but I had a, I had a pretty good day. No, no complaints. Yeah. Was it around what you thought you could do? It, you know, it's like we base ourselves oftentimes, I think off of other, other athletes, you know, like say you get 
you say you were like a minute ahead of someone else and that's pretty typical you're like okay i had a pretty good pretty good day based on that so there's that that guy ben nephew that i said he has a lot of prominence in the northeast he has like more kts than anyone in the world and i'm typically like i seem to be just a few minutes ahead of him like pretty much for every hour i'm a couple minutes ahead so i was pretty much right on par as far as being compared to him but uh but yeah i think i can shave some time off i don't i don't think i can touch steve's time for a little while uh but are we just not expecting that? Did you? Was it a race? Did you guys both go at the same time, or does that not count as an FKT then? So, well, that's what we had in mind because yeah, fastest known time. If I ran directly with him, it would have been supported because I would have been like a uh-huh. quote unquote pace or whatever. So we stagger started. So we were all okay. by ourselves. Yep. Did everybody go? Did everybody do it? Everyone stagger started. Yeah, and we all we, we all had yeah. great days, man. The whole squad. Yeah, and we all we all had an awesome day. That's cool. That sounds like really like a like a real fun time. But yeah, I didn't realize he was. I, I I thought like I know him. His name's Steve Lang. Langa. Yeah, he uh he has some, he's run at like Blue Mountain a couple times. So I've seen like he has like fast times. I don't know. I've never really met him, but um I didn't know he was gonna smoke you like that, dude. <laughs> dude, yeah, he's smoking, man. Uh, yeah, he's an eccentric uh, wiry cat. I mean, in the best way. Yeah, he's an entertaining dude. He's fast. Fast. He brings some some entertainment. Yeah, he's got some uh he's got some pretty good times out there, but uh but yeah yeah i didn't actually think i was gonna beat him i was just talking shit so you, you got to do that from time to time you know you can't say that retroactively you can't like be like no but i i thought i ah! him after you didn't okay. beat him that's not how that works i i knew i had a chance i knew i had a chance like based on yeah i knew i had a chance like if i had my best day and he had like an okay day i think we would been i think i, I would have beaten him but uh but yeah he's a, he's a talented guy and i would i love chasing him just like i love chasing some of the the other faster guys out there in the sport, you know, it's uh, I think it's good to be a little bit ambitious. Totally, of course, yeah. Like, why not? Like, there's no reason to not go after it and, and take it on as a challenge. What um, so eight miles, four thousand feet. How long does that take? Uh, it took me one forty and change. I stopped my watch at one forty twenty eight, and he went one thirty two and change. I think it was like one thirty low one thirty twos, and the previous speed record was one forty two. Oh my god! Pretty drastic. That was a pretty pretty strong drop. Yeah, he matched that, and like so, it's still a pretty long effort at, at, at taking that long. So is it pretty steep and rocky? Yeah, yeah, it, it's steep, rocky, and it's just like so much fun. So it goes up. It's uh maybe three miles to the top, then like a mile and a half across the ridge with awesome views. Not that you're really looking, but like you can see Mount Washington in the distance. The cool thing about the White Mountains is it's all they're called the White Mountains because there's like no. They're all a lot of them are above four thousand feet, so there's not a lot of vegetation. It's above tree line, mm-hmm. and it gives that light colored, like pale appearance. So, uh, and then yeah, you've just got like a three mile downhill with like some sharp turns, uh, and yeah, you just 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 blast it. Lots of rock, kind of hard on the ankles, but uh, yeah, it it rewards the risk takers for sure. Nice. So, did you did anyone else come close to you? Um, I. Well, I, I should say yes, because it, I guess it, it, it all depends on like your scale of what's close. Uh, you know, it's like, I wouldn't say I was really close to Steve. He demolished it. You know, he was eight minutes ahead of me, uh, just about. And uh, let's see, Frankie was in the 140s. Uh, Josh Fior, I think, was also in the 140s. And then, you know, like Javier Escobar was out there. Um, uh, my boy DJ that I coached, he, he had a good time in the low two hours, and uh, which is awesome because he doesn't really do short and 10 stuff. He's focusing on ultra. So, and then Monica, her goal of uh, just a little under three hours. So yeah, we all had pretty, pretty darn good time out there. 
Um, but yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk since with the like burpee 10k and everything we took last week off. Dude, did you did you win that? No, Mark beat me. Mark got oh, at. Oh shit! What did he beat you by? Almost a minute. Yeah, he he went the next day and just mashed mm-hmm. it. He like went. We he had went pretty time. hard from the start. A little, yeah. I mean, I I think I had I could have pushed a little bit more. Like I never went totally to that like really dark nasty place until like the last like 400 meters because i knew i was done and it was just kind of like in the last maybe two miles or so i was like i'm not dying but i don't know if i'm going to die in like a minute it was like super hot it was i've never done anything like that i didn't know how i was gonna like where the like the death was gonna come from and so i kind of just got into this place where it felt like I knew I could hold on to it. And like my time ended up being like solid. It was better than uh, what we talked about. I was doing like 525 to 523s or something like that in between the runs. But my Dude, burpees super got- super respectable. So you were doing, so that's a two, you're doing 240, 800s. Yeah, like 242, 245-ish, I think was where it would kind of be the, the span from. Um, yeah. And then like the burpees got a little slow at the end. I started taking water at, at the second half of things. Like I had a water bottle there and it was really hot. So I just started to sip a little bit. And then when I started running after the burpees, like my pace was getting better. So I was like, okay, maybe this water is helping, but it's probably just cause I was taking a little bit longer. I was probably just taking a little bit longer of a break. So I never went like deep into like that dark, nasty spot that I could have gone. So maybe if like it was a race or if I knew what Mark's time was, um, cause that's what I told him. I told him like the day after, I mean, I'm not taking any credit for what Mark did, but like, uh, I was just like, just he run faster time. than you. He, 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 he did. And I told him, I was like, just run faster than you think you, you should. Cause we were talking about running five forties in that group chat that we're in and just kind of hanging on. And I was like, dude, don't do that. Like just go hard. So he went really hard from the jump. He was like doing five oh fives. And I think he, he ended up, uh, grinding a little bit harder on his burpees than I did. But it was still some sweet, some sweet cash for second place. I got third in the beer mile too, and that was great. Congrats! Thank you. So, like collectively, I made almost six hundred bucks just in those two days. Damn! Like, yeah, it's just more than a Spartan win, and it's more than yeah, last year. Right? <laughs> last year I did all the U.S. National Series races, right? And I got tenth overall. And, but I only got 10th in two of the races. I only got top 10 twice and I got 10 in both of them. And so like you get a hundred bucks for 10th in the national series race. So I got that twice. And then if you get 10th in the national series, you also get a hundred bucks. So hundred bucks times three, that's 300 bucks for all those races. So I made out way better doing beer miles and burpee 10 Ks, like no, no real travel. It was, that's the way to go. I think these virtual races are going to be how I'm going to try to place. Yeah. Pro virtual racer. Um, but just, just remember with the next virtual race that if you're not first, you're last. That's basically how it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now that we're, we're back in action, I mean, we're kind of can focus on training. We both had some events cause I was doing, I did the same thing like how you did with FKT um, attempt at Franconia where I was like, I'm going to taper down. Um, and then after that redirect things and kind of build things back up. And now that it seems like races like aren't going to happen in Philadelphia, they just announced no public events until February, February. I was like, when is February? I was like, what month is it now? Yeah. Dude, that's not even like fathomable. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, it's going to be cold then. 
Um, February is that a planet or something? Is that yeah? A planet so like, there's so all the races here, like Broad Street, was postponed and that's going to be canceled. And now the marathon weekend's canceled. So any organized event that was going to happen is now not going to happen. Um, and I could imagine that these races and like all these races are getting canceled now. Uh, Indian Mud Run officially got canceled. Um, Barbarian Challenge officially canceled. Um, Savage looks like they're going to still try to do it, um, but I'm guessing most of these races are not going to happen. So it kind of put me in a place where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go back into some base phase training and just start to put in some aerobic work. But along those lines, when you have a lot of time that you're not going to be doing specific um, race uh, oriented training, you can really kind of layer in some strength training as well. And so we want to take some time. Um, if, if you are able to get back into your gym or if you found a place where you can get some weights for your garage, and we wanted to go over some of like the key movements that – uh, we've found are very helpful for obstacle course racing and for running in, in general. So we want to talk about the deadlift and the pull-up. Um, so Josh, deadlifts. Let's talk about deadlifts first. So what are some of the benefits that you would think the, the deadlift uh, gives some, uh, like an obstacle course race athlete? Well, a little more fundamentally to start. I mean, the deadlift is probably the most essential movement that a human could have next to like the squat because the squat, you know, you can kind of sit in it to relaxing position, uh, you know, before we had chairs, but deadlifts, I mean, you've got to lift stuff off the ground, you know, whether it's, uh, whether you're living out in the bush and you got to pick up an animal that you just took down, you got to bring it back to the hut, you know, or you got to drag it or something. Uh, or you just got to pick up your grandkids or carry the groceries. Like I've heard people say that actually. And when they, when they talk about, uh, squats. So like, I don't squat anything I can't clean, you know, so they can't, they don't, they won't put anything on the rack. Um, because that's just never going to be a position that you will find yourself in, uh, unless it's just for competition. So like, no, I, I'm the only thing I can, I'm going to squat is what I pick up off the ground. And if I can't pick it off the ground, then I, I have no business squatting it. Um, so you're right from that respect, like the deadlift is something that we're going to be doing every day, like all the time, probably for as long as you live. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent, man. And I mean, to, to put it in more, in specific applicable terms, I mean, other than the things I just stated, like, you know, picking up your groceries or reaching down to, to grab something or doing like yard work. It's like, yeah, when you're in an obstacle course race, pick up the bucket, pick up the sandbag, you know, uh, or even when you're climbing uphill and you're power hiking, you're kind of in a, in a hunched over state where you're just kind of engaging the posterior chain in kind of a, well, not, not the same manner as you would be if you were upright. And so deadlift comes in, kind of helps you out and gives you a strong hand, pun intended, you know, when you're in these positions. Strong pun. I don't. Uh, did that work as a pun? Maybe. Um, I think it did. It did. Okay. So yeah, you're right. And and a lot of obstacle course racing, it is a lot of, of pulling and it's a lot of posterior things. That's why we're not going to talk about the the bench press um, and like the squat itself. Like that might not be that applicable to this because, um, again, like there's never going to be a situation where you're going to be need to overload things so much that the squat will help. And I think the squat is helpful in terms of mobility and just improving your mechanics and just overall power output. If that's something that you're lacking in, but the deadlift to me is just the best bang for your buck. And I've, I find it the most enjoyable in my own training just because it, it seems really productive. Um, it gets like your entire posterior, like your upper back, mid back, your glutes, the whole deal. Um, and just gives you a lot of bang, bang for your buck. Yeah, we are, uh, we're gorillas and I feel like pull-ups and deadlifts really help us tune into that. And that might be the reason it feels so good. Cause you feel like a damn silverback. That's hilarious. Yeah. Cause those are things that they would do in the wild, right? Like you wouldn't see them doing a back squat or a lunge. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so in the deadlift there, like you mentioned the bucket carry or, uh, any, any type of carry, anything that's going to help with like the core strength and something that you need to handle load that way. But there's also the tire flip. That- oh yeah, you're right. That's probably the, the heaviest and, the, <laughs> and most applicable. Yeah. yeah. The most apples to apples, right? Cause it essentially is a deadlift and we'll talk a little bit about some tire flip, uh, tips and tricks and things like that and how to improve those that. But if you can't lift it with your posterior, like it doesn't matter, you know, your form won't matter if you're not strong enough to, to, to absolutely get it there. So, um, and with the deadlift, it is a movement that is a little scary, uh, from a coaching perspective, because you can lift a lot of weight with awful form. And if you're not dialed in with what to do, you will p- potentially hurt yourself and you have a great chance of like wiring patterns incorrectly or creating some sort of compensations just because like you can just pick something up off the ground and not really have to worry about what it looks like. Um, so I would love to kind of dive in a little bit and talk about the, uh, ins and outs of, of kind of like the setup of the, the deadlift and what that is going to look like and what the expectations are. So, um, when I think about the first piece of this, and we talked about this in the kettlebell episode a little bit too, I I still consider the hip hinge as being the main thing. So, um, when teaching the hip hinge, Josh, what do you, do you have anything specific that you like to do, uh, for that to kind of help cue people along what the proper movement patterns patterns are? Well, probably the easiest way is to have one, a mirror so they can see and make that connection, that visual connection with how things feel. So having a mirror next to you so you can see yourself from the side view is fantastic. And uh, put in a box or a medicine ball, I mean, depending on the mobility of the person, a higher platform maybe to start with someone with a little less mobility, but ultimately you are, you're trying to keep your torso, your back flat, not to be confused with like vertical and start to reach your hips back towards that seat. And you'll notice a lot of your weight kind of shifts back into the heels. And that's just a good indicator that you're loading your posterior chain a good way. Because when you come up onto the toes a little bit, the weight kind of shifts out. You lose that advantageous tension and you start to put a little more stress on your back. And that's simply not ideal. So kind of shifting the weight back into your heels, sit the hips back as far as really you can go and down as far as they need to go. And and the way that you talks about the loading piece is a really nice indicator of where like what the patterns are looking like so if you are hinging at your hips correctly you'll feel it in your glutes and your hamstrings but if you are kind of getting more into like a squat position that load will shift into your quads and right there that's when you know that you're kind of out of that position and if you can reach things back a little bit further so i like what you said with having it to reach your butt back into onto like a chair or box or something like that you can even use the wall you can just step out from the wall a little bit and keeping your back completely flat and again hinging like kind of chopping at, at your hips so that you're your chest comes forward and your back stays flat and reaching your butt back to touch it. So you can kind of feel when it's in the hamstrings or the glutes. Um, have you ever used a drill where you can kind of put like a PVC or a dowel um, and hold it onto your back and um, try to maintain contact from your head through like your uh, like kind of tailbone all the way across just to make sure that your back is staying flat the whole time. Have you seen that? Totally. And that, that seems to work really well for people that have a, uh, a little too much like flexion in their like in their upper spine people that kind of have that little bit of a hunchback uh whereas people that have good extension and maybe even have a little bit of that what looks like a little bit of a negative arch in the mm-hmm. low back you don't want too too much of that but a little bit's all right for those people i found it actually can be a little bit confusing because mm-hmm. they're trying because they're in a good position and they're almost putting themselves in a slightly more compromised position but ultimately i think it is a good it's a good thing to emulate to you i mean just looking at it you're like this is a straight line I want to try and be as straight as possible. And if people somehow can't make that 
that connection, which it happens. I mean, it's more, sometimes it's more difficult for people to understand how their body moves and you can tell them something over and over, but they just, they can't seem to make the connection. Having that physical stimulus there, that thing actually against their back for them to get that immediate feedback, pun intended, they <laughs> can help them out. Just, just dominating puns. But yeah, the tactile feedback is like what is going to really help drive some people, you know, like if they can't intuitively feel what it's like to, to physically feel where they should be it is really helpful for that. Um, so that's the first thing, right? Like, and if you don't have the hip hinge right away, you're going to put yourself in a bad position because if you're looking at a deadlift, the deadlift is like, there's a, we're, we're going to talk about straight bar. When we talk about deadlift is just, you know, the straight Olympic bar. Um, we'll talk about some variations later, but for the straight bar, it's just like going to be right in front of you. And if you don't hinge at your hips and you kind of bend at your knees or your, or use, um, like kind of squat down toward it immediately your back is going to be rounded. And that's the one thing you want to avoid the most. And that's going to be the main indicator of uh, if your deadlift form or is, is out of whack or if the weight is getting too heavy, if that back starts to be rounded. So if you approach the bar and bend at your knees and grab the bar, and as soon as you pull it, your, your lower back will be rounded right from the jump. So that's why the hip hinge is crucial because the setup is really everything with the, the deadlift and, and once is where you should probably spend the most time. So if you can't appropriately uh, hip hinge. That's where you need to spend your time and doing things like kettlebell swings are, is a real helpful way to learn, learn that hinge. Um, or just doing things like, um, good mornings, good mornings. Yeah. RDLs, but, but, or, and trying to figure out like where you are or, um, a really good one is, uh, just the, uh, pull through, I think they call it not the pull through. Maybe it's like where you attach like uh, a cable, you have a cable machine or a, a band loaded, uh, anchored against something and you pull the band in, uh, between your legs, like, and you're facing away from the anchor point and then you're mm. just hinging back and then squeezing your glutes to move the band back and forth. Um, and that is a great way one to activate the glutes and also to use the hip hinge where it's not really loaded. Cause the good, a good morning. Yeah. You, you, if you don't have the hip hinge and you try good morning, like it's not going to be great. Um, and same with the RDL, same, same thing. So you want to make sure that like something like that, that's not loaded as much can help. Uh, yeah. The pull through actually, I hadn't really thought about that, but conceptualizing it, uh, it's that that's fantastic. Cause yeah, the, that puts the load like directly on the hips. Right. Moving them forward. That's great. Right. Yeah. So you don't, you don't have to worry about loading up your back or anything like that. So, so once you have that hip hinge down and you want to we'll, we'll work from like the ground up when talking about the deadlift. So we want to talk about this stance a little bit. So when you're looking down at your, your stance, where do you, where do you look at first? I, uh, I do, I do think it's good to kind of get a little bit of variety. And with your deadlifts, I, I used to do a lot of sumo, but nice. let's be honest. I think that was because I was just kind of like my body size, you know, torso to like leg ratio. You can pull more weight in sumo typically, and it makes you feel better. Some people, but, uh, yeah, it, and that's a mechanical thing. And sumo is where your legs are going to be out, uh, out a little wider than your shoulders and your arms are going to be inside of uh, your legs. Um, mm-hmm. Like as if, if you were going to sumo wrestle indubitably but yeah for the purpose of running and propelling propelling yourself forward rdl is far more specific to that sort of motion getting that nice straight extension uh, out of the hip so uh, the typical stance is going to end up being right about shoulder right about shoulder length shoulder width rather uh you don't want to go too narrow don't want to go too wide but you have a little bit of wiggle room so you know if it's a nice comfortable stance if you jump up i think uh one of the ways they say to do it is kind of just jump up in the air lately and however you land Mm -hmm. that's probably your power stance right that's probably going to be your power stance so experiment with that uh you know your feet are relatively straight you know no need to really toe out or anything you don't want your ankles collapsing or anything but 
shoulder width. What do you think? I agree. And I like that cue of like jumping and just landing and, and wherever that landing position is, is where you're going to probably feel most stable. And it's most likely going to be hip width, shoulder width. Um, it wouldn't be anything necessarily more narrow because if you land narrow, you're going to be uh, able to kind of like tip over a little bit easier. So <laughs> having it be like right at hip width is a good, a good place to start. And the bar itself should kind of cross over your feet, like right in the middle of the laces. Um, so you don't want to be all the way up against your shin to start and definitely not out in front, uh, like near your toe. So kind of like lining it up right where your shoelaces would be like directly across the middle for that, that starting point. And then when we're there, then you need to work on like where your hips are going to be. So this kind of goes into the, the, the load again, and this is another really uh, hard spot for, for people to kind of conceptualize. And this takes a lot of work. And I know I had to work mm-hmm. on this as well, because when I started doing deadlifts, like I was doing CrossFit and at CrossFit, they kind of throw everything at you at once. Right. Cause it's like, you know, being ready for the unknown and unknowable. So like we were doing cleans and we're doing squats and we're doing deadlifts and the deadlift isn't a key movement. At least it wasn't in, in, um, CrossFit back then. So everything started in like the clean position. So the clean position, like it's much more quad dominant and your chest is, is, is very upright where in the deadlift, you want to lift those hips up a little bit to load those hamstrings again. So it's kind of a weird position. How would you describe the position of where like your hips should be in the deadlift? Uh, I love it. It's going to be different for everyone because you have different like flexibility and, uh, but, but yeah, when you're grabbing the bar, the bars over your, over your feet, close to the shins, you know, you're in that power stance, you're grabbing it right up. That's also, we didn't touch on that. The mm-hmm. fact that your feet are hip width apart pro- approximately gives your arms uh, a nice guide to kind of like right outside your knees. They're not being stuffed out. You don't have to move your knees or put your arms too wide. Uh, so your legs stay pretty straight. Your arms stay pretty straight. That's a nice mechanical position. Uh, but yeah, from there, I like to lean. The cues kind of go like this. Lean back into your heels a little bit. Start to lift your hips up. Find some tension in your hamstrings. And once you find some tension in your hamstrings, you squeeze your glutes, squeeze your core, squeeze your lats. Check that your head is neutral mm-hmm. and perform the lift. But you want to make sure that all those things are in a line. So you sit back, squeeze the glutes, squeeze the core, squeeze the lats. The lats and the core, those need to be tight to keep your spine safe. And they give you some good... Uh, uh, well, intra-abdominal pressure to keep the spine safe to execute the lift. And uh, yeah, you squeeze those glutes, you, you pull them through and the weight's off the floor. I think the the squeezing the glutes is a huge one as well. And keeping the um, it's anterior pelvic tilt, right? You want to keep that your hips underneath. Um, you're, Better to be slightly anterior than yeah. posterior. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you turn out and like you get that lower back kind of like curved, is you're going to kind of lose that connection between your abdominals, like your upper body and lower body. So you want to be interior uh, tilted. And that means, you know, kind of tucking your tail underneath your legs of somewhat and squeezing your butt. So when Josh says, squeeze your glutes, just squeeze that butt. And then, um, then you're ready to roll because the same thing, if it's not, if that's not connected and that's not really engaged, as soon as you pull and, uh, you're going to lose that, the stability, like you said, the intra abdominal pressure, and you're going to lose it and you're going to kind of start to, it's going to pull you forward and you're going to be in a rounded back position right from the jump. Yeah. Your um, cage will collapse. Your spine will, will flex. And that's a huge one. Especially when people start building up is to really keep like 
like squeezing your glutes, yes, but also having it tilted under a little bit will really put you in a good position and make it a, a much more smooth transition um, when lifting that that weight straight up. Um, and one thing that you mentioned that I did want to to stress and really kind of focus on and just like kind of drill this thing home is your gaze and like your your head. Too often I see people like have a huge like their chin like kind of pointed to the sky and have a huge yeah, curve. That's what the football coach told you to do, right? I guess. I don't know. Like, I don't know why that's like that, but it's like looking up and trying to lift the weight up, I guess is, is some sort of like cue, uh, like, like look to the sky and pull it up. But like your head comes up and you, you just think about your spine. It just creates this curve where everything you want to keep neutral. So I always try to tell people to keep a, uh, think about like holding a softball between your chin and your chest. And that's like where it should be. And you should be just like looking straight forward and like your head shouldn't really move at all because that happens all the time. And also the, when people finish, they finish like huge and back and they kind of rock back into the, um, deadlift for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. It's easier. It seems just like a, a moment of relaxation, but yeah, you want to stand a little lean, backward lean is fine, but you want to stand tall, strong, really freaking own that weight, strong core, maybe take a little breath and drop it with control. Yeah. Yeah. And dropping it back is, is also important too, because like if you drop it straight down, you're going to, again, kind of put yourself in that compromised position with your, like your lower back being all out of whack and then a little bit rounded. So you just want to do the same thing as you're up there. You want to hinge your hips back and let that weight slide down your quads until it gets right below your knees. And then you're going to bend your knees and bring it down. And when you're at the top, just don't bend your knees and collapse down. Make sure that you're guiding that bar down, which is like, which is something you have to do. Cause you get again, that tactile feedback when you're using a straight bar, but when you use a trap bar, I see this a lot when people aren't using trap bar, they're kind of dropping it straight down because they don't have to have mm-hmm. that hip hinge to get the, to literally get the bar out of the way of the knees with a trap bar. You can just kind of drop the thing. And I found, I found the trap bar to be a really nice tool for beginners, um, like a trap bar deadlift and for, and, and a, um, uh, a kettlebell deadlift just kind of, it moves the weight more to center and it allows for a little bit more room of air where if the barbell's out in front, like if, if you're, if you're out of position, it's going to move away from you and it's going to kind of screw you up. So, um, the trap bar has been a big, uh, like kind of a buzzword like people really really like the trap bar what are, what are your thoughts on it i think the trap bar is rad for certain um if you had that available as a beginner i would definitely recommend using that it's kind of like a beginner and an ender thing so use it with lightweight to start out because you might feel really strong like you like you can load it up a lot but you're not getting that tactile feedback as you're saying to get to enforce yourself to get into a good position. Um, I think that you'd be better off doing something like the straight bar or even though it is more complicated, ultimately because it requires you to be in get better form, that's a good thing. That's a good sort of complex. You will need to learn that pattern. And the kettlebell is awesome for that as well because it stays right up in between you. You feel the contact of your forearms and the bell with your hips at the top of the position. And uh, it's just easier. You, you can see the kettlebell directly underneath you. Whereas with the trap bar, the weight's like out to the side visually and Physically, I feel like there's less feedback to tell you whether you're doing something right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'll reserve it with rather like lightweight for beginners. That way, if you do do something incorrectly or not perfectly, at least that it's uh, it's fairly low risk. And then for people who are very skilled that want to get into more of that conventional deadlift position without scraping their shins, 
you know, a little bit lower, a little more of like that squat position, then you can really load it up because you can be sure that you have pretty good mechanics. Yeah, and the trap bar, just if you're listening and trying to picture it, it's like the hexagon bar that you stand in between. Hexagon, right? You stand inside of it, and you are trapped. <laughs> and you're trapped. Is that I – w- I would look this up one time. I was like, is it because you're trapped in there, or does it work your traps more? Or Both. what? It, how did you do in geometry? Were you a good geometry student? Uh, I My school didn't have geometry, bro. You just didn't take geometry. They were like, no, you're held back. You're going into it. Uh, <laughs> you're, 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 an al- you're an algae one again. Um, yeah, cause I was going to throw a geometry term out there and hope that you would correct me, but that's not going to be the case. So. It was, it, it, it is a hexagon, but with unequal side lanes. Hmm. All right. Let's, let's move on from math. That is the math section for today. That's all we can really cover on it. But, um, the trap bar, it is cool. And I think that this was popularized by, um, the guy at Nike, Ryan Flaherty. Did you see, like he did, he was the one who, um, who would have people do trap bar, and then do plyometrics directly after it. And he found that there was like a direct correlation in, in like sprint speed. And like, he worked with a lot of people who were uh, working as um, like NFL prospects. So like it improved people's like 40 yard dash, like crazy. Um, and that was something like, and now people caught that and like, Oh, the trap bar is good, but they weren't sure why they it, it's like supposed to be so much better. Um and they just want to use it and use it and use it. And, and because of this guy who popularized it and these pro athletes that use it, but for an endurance athlete, I don't know how, how much benefit that would be to improve your 40 sprint time. And it, it is very well, kind of you specific. Could, you could argue that there's a correlation between, I mean, if you have good endurance and you have a high power output, there's kind of a marriage of those two things. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I would think that it would be quite advantageous. My curiosity is where, why did they do a hex over over straight bar? What was the main reason? You know, I can I can see that the hex bar allows you to get into a little bit more of that squat jump. So that would make sense for certain track sports, but for running, for sprinting, I I would think intuitively that straight bar would be would be better, more applicable. I think when he went through and and, and did it, he he's he's more of a gym guy. He's like you or I, and he's not like someone that's going to break down the mechanics and the why behind it. I think this was just kind of trial and error. He just like did it mm-hmm. and saw it correlated that way. So he's just like, well, I'm just going to do this with everybody and just saw really good results. Um, and maybe it is just because of power, like being able to load it up a little bit more because typically you'll be able to lift more with a trap bar than a straight bar. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say almost across the board, right? Yes. So maybe that was more like just being able to load it up a little bit heavier. Um, and that, and that, that's what it is. Josh, what's your one rep max? Uh, I don't know what it is right now, but when I, because I've kind of moved on from deadlifts one, cause I've just kind of moved out of the gym scene and I've started to get a little bit more into kettlebell. So I think that I have a higher overall power output, but my max strength has probably decreased quite a bit, uh, as far in the deadlift realm. But when I left the gym, I was able to do four thirty-five with a belt and I was able to do four Oh five with, for two, for two without a belt, no straps, straight bar. Raw. Straight bar. Nice, man. That's strong, dude. That's really strong. I mean, and that's the thing with the with the deadlift. It's like you need to you only need to get so strong <laughs> for uh, for obstacle course racing, right? Like uh, having a four hundred pound deadlift is sweet, um, just because that's four plates, four hundred five, right? Yeah, yeah, Hell cool, yeah, <laughs> four plates, baby. Um, Makes a lot of noise when it hits the floor. Yeah, totally. But like, yeah, like the required uh, 
strength in an obstacle course race, like you don't need to be doing that much. Like, yeah, my- totally. that's why I, that's why I let go of it because of the demand on like the central nervous system, the fatigue that it puts in, a, in the hamstrings. It's, it's kind of not worth it. And that's where, when you get up to that strong, uh, it, it can be detrimental. It takes a long time to build up to that. It takes a long time to recover from that, from the nervous system. Like you're recruiting so much and you're, cause you're capable of doing that. That's going to kind of whack you eventually and just really kind of put you back. Um, and that's like, last time I really tested, I think I did, I pulled 370 for double and this was a couple of years ago. And that's, nice. and that's, and yeah, so you figure, you know, one rep, maybe 390. Um, and like, I feel like I don't need it to be much more, um, then like, like I would be, I would probably start doing it more if like 305 became an issue. Um, but luckily it has not. So what do you think like a good spot would be for people um, to have the required strength when it comes to deadlifts for, uh, for obstacle course racing? I think that, uh, I think that a standard for, for a gentleman should be like, you should be able to do 225 for a minimum of a few good reps. I think 225 for five would mean that you're not going to have a problem with the tire. Uh, granted, you're not totally spent when you get to the tire. Um, so if you can do if you can do 225 consistently, I think that's a pretty good place to be. I think so too. I think that's a really good recommendation. That's what I was thinking. Like, because 225 is heavy enough that you need to have the proper form and be able to recruit enough, and it won't completely destroy you. And which is actually kind of nice about not being that strong is that you can do deadlifts a little bit more often and not like be completely wrecked and it doesn't take that much time to get up to two plates. Um, and where, is it, where do you think that puts that for the women? Like 185. What is uh? I mean, I think that, that if a, a lady is doing 185, especially for like for five reps, that's that's very respectable, and I think that's going to put you at top of field. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, I would say though that just based on the the weight of most of the the women that I observe in the field, some of the the smaller women that are in like the one you know uh, 120, 130 pound range. I mean, if they can do if they can do like 155 for five reps, I think that more than covers what they would have to do when I look at their uh, their demands as far as the weight of their tire, the uh, their buckets. The only exception would be where being a little bit stronger might come into play would be something like OCR champs where they have to do the same sandbag as the men. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because that is the thing, their, their tire. And this is the time where I will uh, put in deadlifts pretty frequently uh, for the athletes I coach. I'll do it in the off off season leading in. Um, it's just like okay, let's just make sure we're getting, we're strong, we're covering our bases. Or if someone has consistent issues with the tire, and the tire is interesting because I can almost I, I almost consider it like a grip obstacle at this point because mm-hmm. it is more. I find that the hands end up being the limiter, but there are athletes who do where the limiter is their 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 back, their posterior strength, or just like their form in general. Um, but the, for the women's weight, for some reason, it's just, it's not the same. It's like they've undershot or o- undershot the women or overshot the men when it came to the, the weight equivalencies in this, because women never miss the tire and guys do miss the tire for an, an OCR for sure. Um, I'm actually not sure what either the tire weights are. Uh, I heard, I heard to the vine that the, the men's tire is somewhere in the ballpark of, uh, is for something. Yeah. And I think the women in the high two, maybe 275, but since it's on kilter, you know, you're, you're only lifting maybe 50% of that. Right, right, right. Totally. Yeah. Um, if I knew my geometry better, I'd be able to tell you more. Ex- exactly. And the, uh, right. Like, so that's not like, I don't even know what that, what a heavy tire really is or what like one rep, one rep max tire flip or what a four Oh five deadlift, what that should mean for a tire, you know, because it ends up being just like the elements are, are screwing it up. Like it's just wet. 
and you just can't get under it. Have you been to many races with the tire? I mean, you've done West Virginia. I have. Uh, I did West Virginia. I did Tahoe, and I think I've only and uh, Killington. I think those are the only locations that I I encountered the tire. And the only place that it was an issue for me. Uh, I mean, I was exhausted at the end of Tahoe, but uh, but I was able to get you know like it was against the pavement, which made it difficult to get the fingers underneath it. But like you said, like once you're, it's a more of a grip thing. Getting like getting your fingers underneath it. But once you have it, kind of like up to the knees with a piece of cake. And then West Virginia, it was very muddy. Mm-hmm. And again, it was a grip thing more than an actual posterior chain ability totally yeah west virginia oh, it took me forever and i didn't know when to give up on it so i just like stood there and got passed by so many people just like waiting there like trying to dig under like i actually dug a hole to get under <laughs> yeah. the thing just wasting time picking grass out of it so i could flip it over You're like letting your nails grow for two weeks prior to the event like so seriously yeah <laughs> um yeah so that was, that was a big screw up on my end and Tahoe is interesting because like, I just think all obstacles are just easier out West or in the mountains at altitude, it's just drier. So I could actually do that pinch grip. Have you ever seen people do that where they pinch it with one arm and kind of come across the other way and, and, and kind of pinch. Um, yeah. And, and they can just yep. kind of lift it, which is straight up grip strength. And when it's dry, you just, it just pops right up. Um, mm-hmm. But in places like West Virginia, that might not be uh, always the, the case. Like you saw, I think Kent was having a great race at West Virginia this past year and he just like couldn't get right. that pinch. That pinch oh grip, that was a bummer, dude. dude. Um, but like, how long do you think is long enough? Like, is this something I've never really thought about because I was just stubborn and like, like kept digging at it? Like, how long do you think you should do a tire flip before you're just like, the burpees are gonna serve me better? Oh gosh, know thyself. How long does it take you to do burpees? How tired are you? How you know? What are the obstacles that are coming up afterwards? Is it like more grip intensive stuff? I mean, study the map if you like. If you know it's gonna tax your grip and like you have to do some rigs and the hercules after and you're concerned about your grip maybe do the burpees uh but shit i probably i probably spent a good 30 seconds but 30 seconds is an eternity in a race yeah you know i was thinking 30 seconds and 30 seconds i think would would feel shorter when you're when you're struggling with a tire than you would think like i probably spent two minutes on the tire that that day just because i was like and then i flipped it once and struggled to flip it over the second time and i was like well i'm already Mm. halfway I'm already here. So it's hard to know when you're going to fail a tire. So I think like having a strategy of like looking at your watch or, or just like being like, if this thing is not done in 30 seconds, I need to go do burpees. Yeah, I think that's fair. Cause I mean, burpees are going to take, I mean, they're going to take that two those same two to three minutes, three minutes probably. Right. In a race, two and a half. Probably take two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's fair. Getting, getting that, that three minutes and that, uh, is a good, um, place to to really kind of call it a quits uh, after 30 seconds or so so um have you ever seen like a jefferson curl that rings a bell but i don't actually i can't get an image to that describe it to me so all of the deadlift variations and all the deadlifts things that we kind of talked about it's all about keeping your back flat and straight um and never really let allowing it to um uh, fold forward the jefferson curl is just folding forward so you kind of stand on a platform so it's just a kind of way to um like train the flexion of things and like so you stand on a platform you roll your shoulders forward and like vertebrae by vertebrae just slowly start rounding your back until your legs are straight until you are completely folded and your legs are straight so you get an awesome hamstring stretch and then when you bring it back up you suck your abdominals in and and start to stack your uh vertebrae on top of each other until you reach the top so it's done with like really really lightweight but it is 
awesome, awesome exercise. If like you have some upper back mobility stuff or some like mid back uh, strengthening things. So that's what I had never heard the term Jefferson curl, but I have done that a hundred times in yoga class. Yeah, no, totally. without, without weight. But I mean, yeah, it feels great. And that's what they'll tell you sometimes to stack your, your vertebrae on top of each other and come to the top, roll your shoulder blades back. But yeah, like that's, you can elevate your feet if you have good flexibility and then kind of round all the way down and get there, which is pretty a pretty sweet one. So if you are constantly hitting these like flat back movements, um, you might want to try to switch it up and do some Jefferson curls with that. Yeah, not a bad idea. So I tell you what, man, we were talking about how you should hit like certain weights. If you want to be able to lift the tire, blah, 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 but you don't want to do too much deadlift new because it might fatigue you. But now's a good time probably because the races aren't happening to get into some deadlifts. So what do you think is a good, is a good place to, to hit these deadlifts as far as volume goes where's a good place where it's not gonna take you out of your running game it might you might be tired on your run the next day you might feel a little fatigue in the hamstrings but overall there's gonna be a good balance between starting to build strength and still be able to build on your running Mm -hmm. so in terms of volume it's like uh sets and reps and things like that i think working to a heavy set of five or even trying to get to three if you're really working on a strength building phase is a good place to start and with something like deadlifts that can be like we mentioned that you can kind of throw you out of form fairly easily i wouldn't go really high on the reps i don't think i would ever program anything with eight or even 12 12 or eight or so um so i think keeping it in that like power power uh um lifting rep range of like that five like three to six or so would be a good spot. What do you think in terms of like progression and, and where to start and volume? I totally agree, man. Uh, so, I mean, if for a lot of us, we haven't been in the gym, maybe you haven't had access to an Olympic bar. So that, it's a, that's a specific movement that you might think that you have in the bag, but I, w- I would take it easy getting back at it and uh, just make sure you got the mechanics down because at the end of the day, you can be that guy that lifts a crap load of weight, but people are going to look at you and be like, this form is just awful. Mm-hmm. It's gross. So perfect that form, look beautiful doing your lifts and, uh, and then start to work the weight up. So getting back at things, just go back and do like 40 or 50% of what you knew that you could do that. I would say do 10 reps because you're spending enough time with the bar in hand going through the motion. You can really feel yourself going through the motions and kind of rebuild those patterns that might have diminished a little bit over the past few months. And then, you know, the next week hit 60%, same thing, maybe eight reps, 10 reps. And then uh, week three, you can start getting up into more of those strength ranges, get to 70%. Now you're doing five reps. Week four, 75% max, doing three to five reps. What I like to do with my clients is start to hit it. Don't be so, so rigid. If you're, you know, you don't want to have a program that says you're doing your, your standard five by five, very popular because it works, right? You might be on that fifth set and reps four, rep number four, you're struggling. It's looking ugly. Mm -hmm. I say, I say, put it down. So I say aim for five and diminish the reps as you go on need be so you can perform with quality because not only are you going to start to build poor habits if you start working out with bad form, but you're also going to really tax your central nervous system and that's going to end up being a you're going to get diminished returns. So less is a little bit more when it comes to doing heavy deadlifts. Totally. And what does that feel like to you when, because it is something, and how we talked about at the top, it's like you can do deadlifts with terrible form and you get it done. You're like, cool, I did that. What does it feel like when you're in over your head a little bit or when like the, the form starts to kind of throw off without being like injured? Like how would you know when, when it's, like, what does it feel like to you? 
I, I feel like it's going to be, you might feel like you're muscling it, like you're not in control. I mean, if you should get to the point of doing deadlifts where you put down a rep or you put down a set, you know, whatever, three reps, and you walk away from it, stand back, and you think to yourself, like, that felt so good. That felt clean and crisp. I was in control the entire way. And if you have any doubt about the amount of control that you had, that might mean that you're starting to fatigue. Mm. And you should probably either call it a day or, you know, just do one more set of one or whatever, just to check back in on yourself and try and really focus on it. But yeah, for me, it's more of a mental thing. Um, phys- physically, you might be sore in a weird way, but I think that if you did something really bad muscularly, you're really going to know. You'll probably hurt. It's yeah. Be like bad, bad. Yeah. And that's a good way to put it. It's kind of like what I mentioned, not going into like that dark place during the burpee 10K. Like you shouldn't want to go there in a deadlift, right? You shouldn't need to be <laughs> no. yeah, on the fourth <laughs> rep of a deadlift. If you're like, I'm going to go for it. This is just needs to be everything. If you're like in powerlifting mode, like smelling, like sniffing salts or whatever, trying to get that weight up, like that's too much. <laughs> that is too much so like yeah and if you get to the point where you put it down and you're not sure um just let it let it go take that weight let down it let it go <laughs> um how you uh and then where would you take it up to would you take it up to three or how how many like where where do you draw the line in terms of what is enough in t- from like a percentage base yeah, I think uh, I think that I would take it up to eighty five percent. So yeah, week one, getting back at it, guys and gals, fifty uh, percent of your one RM. And by the way, estimating your one rep max, either you knew what it was coming out, and you can kind of get a guess, maybe take off, you know, fifteen twenty five pounds going back in, um, or you can just kind of retest it out. Uh, if you do a one rep max conversion, you can do, uh, say, you get ten reps of one thirty five. There's conversion charts online, but that'll tell you that your one rep max is probably around one hundred eighty pounds. Uh, or if you're doing 225 for 10 reps, your one rep max is probably close to 300 pounds. So you can test yourself out that way. Uh, it's a little less stressful than just jumping right in trying to find your one rep max. Because let's be honest, once you actually get in the game, uh, there's no reason to do your one rep max. It's like super duper stressful. It's yeah, I you know I did it back in the day, but it, that's when I just wanted to like lift as much weight as possible and outlift the next guy. You know, it was more of an ego thing. Be the biggest gorilla. So, uh, so it's fun and all, but for, for performance in our game and OCR and running, it's, it's unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. So, uh, yeah. It's just something like you said, like you would want <laughs> to know, um, but it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, like it, there, it doesn't matter. unless you are in the sport of powerlifting, um, then maybe, but that's the, even then they probably just save it for competition. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so week one, go out there, hit 50%, do 10 reps of that. Uh, and this is going to be like three to five sets of everything, you know? Don't be one of those people that's thinking, oh, I'm going to do 100 reps of deadlift today. Again, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. You're better just stimulating your posterior chain and then going for a run after you do a few sets. Uh, week two, hit 60% of your one rep max. Week three, 70%. Week four, 75%. Week five, you can go up to 80%. Do five sets and start out with five reps. And if you have to diminish, maybe you get to your third set, you get to rep number three and you think that was hard. That's fine. On your next set, go for two or three on your next set finish it off with one or two quality reps. So maybe you're only doing 15 or 20 reps, you know, of this, of this heavy weight, which isn't a lot, but it is a good stimulus. It's a very strong stimulus. Definitely. And I feel like this is a good, that's a good spot. And that's where like, you're going to get the best bang for your buck in terms of the performance that you're going to see on the course. But a a lot of OCR athletes, they supplement their training or they've come from the background of CrossFit, kind of like myself, but um, I had more running background first. Anyway, but like you do in CrossFit or if you go to a gym that is more based around like Metcons or whatever, like you'll see deadlifts in uh, 
metabolic conditioning classes. What do you, what, what's your stance on that? Like what, like doing deadlifts for reps of like 45 and plus. No, nah, that's, that's sport. That is sport specific to more of CrossFit. That's what their competitions look like. High reps of heavy weight. That is not what our sport looks like. So it's, again, it's, it's unnecessary for our sport. I totally agree. And like, if you're programming something like that, um, and you are a, uh, a, a coach or you are like, and you coach OCR athletes or you are a gym owner of some sort and you're programming 50 deadlifts, like that's not going to serve the people well. And like, because it's a fun workout, like doing Diana or whatever, which is 21, 15, nine, uh, deadlift 225 and handstand pushups. Like, yeah, that would be something that would help maybe your aer- aerobic ability, but like, not for our I could sport. See that playing more of a role. Yeah, I could see that playing more of a role for uh, maybe the stadiums. I don't really know uh, what, what DecaFit looks like in the realm of like lifting. I don't know if you have to do like sandbags over the shoulders or something. Um, maybe with the short course stuff, you're getting away with that once in a while if you're really addicted to CrossFit. But but yeah, that's not going to help you in a, very much in a super. Yeah, maybe above. in a short course, if you're proficient at that kind of weight and you could do handstand pushups well, like then maybe you'll kind of get a similar feeling that what it is in the back half of a um, a stadium, but probably not. <laughs> right, just in regards to like the suck. Yeah, in regards to the suck, but you're probably not <laughs> you're probably not that good at either of those movements. Um, you probably can't push it as hard as you can, uh, and so you're better off doing something like uh, even like kettlebell swings. That you know you'll get the yeah. same type of benefit, or you get the same type of uh, response from the deadlifts that you would get, and it would just be less wear and tear, and, and probably even a little bit more uh, practical. Get some grip gains in there. So yeah, but I clarify when it, when we're saying like you do, do twenty reps of like heavy deadlift, we're talking about twenty reps of heavy deadlift. You know, if you would do a warm up set uh, of like 30, 40, 50 percent of your one rep max, ten reps, that that doesn't count. That's your warm up. You're just kind of tuning up your nervous system. Um, you know, if you're maybe you're doing some accessory work, warming up with doing some single leg stuff uh, at a, like a slow pace, that's not very taxing on your central nervous system. You're just kind of warming things up. So we're talking about like twenty reps of the the heavy stuff. Yeah, totally. So that, and that, that there's no place for that. Like it might be fun, but it's not going to help you. And that's where you need to kind of figure out your goals. This is a conversation that I go back to often. If like you're wanting to go to classes and you're wanting to do these things, it's like, okay, then you don't want to get as good as possible at OCR. Like then you want to participate in classes and you want to do uh, CrossFit workouts that are uh, like standardized. Um, so yeah, when it comes to deadlifts, like you want to be in that, work yourself into that um, powerlifting rep range and just get the most uh, strength gains with doing the, the least amount of damage possible. Totally. So check this out. Going back to what you were saying uh, about this uh, this Nike gent who had had his clients, his athletes doing deadlift followed by some plyometrics, mm-hmm. right? I actually, I dig that a lot, but I've, I've had my clients do that. I don't have them really doing it right now for two reasons. One, because we think maybe there's an event that might be coming up and I really want them to focus on some other stuff. And two, we're working a little bit more with kettlebells, which is more working on power. Uh, you can kind of hold on to max strength a little bit with that, but we want to work on like explosiveness. We're doing kettlebell work. Um, however, I did have everybody doing deadlifts. And what I would have them do is I'd have them do it in kind of an Iman fashion, but every three minutes on the third minute. Mm. So you have, five, you have five sets. Listen up, everybody. I'm giving you some free stuff here, all right? Every, every, every three minutes, you do your set of deadlifts. Maybe you start out with five reps and maybe it goes down over the next few sets, but you do your five reps of deadlift. You walk away from the bar, you walk over to your plyo box and you do two, three explosive jumps per high, like get that box pretty much as high 
as, as you can handle. So you can, you really want your brain to be like, okay, man, we got to jump freaking high right now. Your posterior chain's already lit up from the deadlift. Now you're going to get super explosive. You're going to jump up on those boxes and then you'll mosey over to the bar, the pull-up bar, and you're just going to do two strict total bars. Mm. And my theory, and the reason I like to incorporate these things is the plyometrics, obviously you're just recruiting your fibers that you just got recruited with the deadlifts. You're recruiting them in a faster manner. And then you get to go over to the pull-up bar and you're going to kind of balance things out from the deadlift where you get to use the front, the abdominals a little bit more than the back. So you're kind of keeping your core engaged, kind of getting some balanced core work through that. And you're also engaging your lats enormously. Mm. And the lats do play a huge role in this deadlift. So you're just kind of reminding the body, hey, here's here's some of the other muscles that we that we are focusing on that we need to use on that deadlift when we get back to the bar in a minute and how many um like how long is that then is that like a, a, a 15, 15 minute, minute workout 15 minute cool mm-hmm. yeah i like that a lot and that, that's a good way to kind of incorporate a bunch of things on a time crunch one of the previous guests matt liptak had a, had a lot of really cool things along those lines as well like figuring out like the best ways to work in a bunch of uh sports specific workouts and this would and again this isn't you're not doing 20 box jumps to exhaust yourself right like that's not right, the just point here. Tiny stimulus, tiny, potent stimulus. You're doing a few reps of like max effort vertical jumps. Right. Just a couple. And that's that's another thing that like, you know, this the high intensity type of attitude really has driven into people. It's like, well, if I'm doing box jumps, I'm doing 20 until I'm exhausted. And yes, it is a good way to kind of increase your like cardio and really get your heart rate up, but not in terms of power. Totally. If you want to do some high rep box jumps at the end of this workout because you have because you're training for stadium. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But you'll do that at the end of the workout as your metabolic finisher. Right. That, that should be something that is more more sports specific for um, what your goals are going into. I like that. That's a really cool workout. And I think that makes a ton of sense in, in ways to kind of work it all in. Um, yeah, man. So we were going to talk about pull-ups. I don't know if we have time to talk about pull-ups because we just talked. We do. But I think we, I can think we can fit this in. I think people should hang on for another 15 minutes. We should dive into pull-ups real quick. Let's talk about pull-ups then. Groovy, man. There's so many types. It's Again, it's one of those fundamental movements where we come from this background of being of being chimpanzees, right? Well, at one point in time or another, we were probably swinging from trees and lifting stuff off the ground. We got the deadlifts down from lifting things off the ground, lifting up rocks, looking for insects, uh, you know, <laughs> grabbing animals, whatever. Now we got the pull-ups. And the pull-ups are, are one thing that for obstacle course racing is going to be really huge for a lot of people. I mean, the over, overhead hanging uh, obstacles are, are the one thing that really stand out and make obstacle course racing different. And a lot of times it boils down to grip strength, but a lot of but pulling strength is something that is going to be helpful for both your grip and just for your ability to kind of get through these uh, obstacles like ring uh, rigs, rings, monkey bars. Um, so being able to really build and work on your pull-up is, is huge. I think it's what, probably one of the, the key movements here. So where do you start when you're uh, like for, for your pull-up, for your pull-up mechanics? You know, it's a pull to, to focus on the mechanics of a pull-up. You have to be able to do the pull-up. So for anyone listening who can't currently lift their body weight to the bar on their own, couldn't recommend enough getting a pack of resistance bands. Mm. You can hang them from your bar. You can loop your knee or your foot into it, and it'll help uh, 
help you go against gravity a little bit. Uh, I have a green band that at full stretch, it lifts 135 pounds. So, <laughs> so, you know, if I put that thing on, I can do a freaking 100 reps. Yeah. Um, so get yourself one of those, okay? It's better to be able to do several reps assisted than struggle to even do one unassisted because you're probably not going to do it very well unassisted. So get yourself a pack of resistance bands. Um, I use a pack. I don't know if they have them in stock off Amazon, but I use a one called I-N-T-E-Y-N-T. They're actually really durable. I have no affiliation with the company, but I'm just like really impressed by their durability and their cost. I got a pack of four uh, of different resistances for the price you would spend for like one rogue thick band. Really? It was like so, only 40, 50 bucks? Yeah, I think it was 30, I think it was 35 or 38 or something like that. It wow. probably went up because everything is going up right now in the fitness world. So, uh, but yeah, I-N-T-E-Y-N-T, good resistance bands working for me right now. Uh, I recommend them to people. So if you're just starting out, throw that up uh, on the bar. Try and get yourself a couple of assisted pull-ups. And if you, can, if you can't even pull yourself up with that, you can kind of use your other leg or put a chair next to you. Jump yourself up to the bar. Resist yourself coming down, doing negatives. Those are awesome. Yeah. Negatives will help. The eccentric the pull-up is huge like if you ever do, have done that like just getting your chin over the bar and lowering yourself down as slow as possible like five to ten seconds your lats get lit lit dude you will be so, so sore. sore it's really impressive <clears throat> the the one thing with the resistance bands and that i've seen with these is that they they're great for getting in that um getting in the volume and getting in the practice working on the mechanics so you can figure out body position but you don't get any help getting out of the dead uh, the dead hang, like that's where all the resistance resistance is, is when your arms are fully extended and the bands at full stretch. So it kind of pulls you out of that itself. So I would also recommend that you do just spend time practicing, even just trying to pull yourself, even if you can't get yourself out of that hole, just working to engage as much as possible to try to pull yourself like an inch, just so you are getting a little bit of that stimulus, because that's the thing that can happen with bands is that you just miss a whole part of the, the, um, the movement. So you, or, and so if like, you're not strong getting your, so if you're stronger working from halfway and up, like that's great. But if you can't get to halfway, you're going to need to work on that. So I would kind of loop that in with that as well. And just kind of doing uh, a, a second set of just three by two second pulls as hard as possible. So maybe you only go like an inch or two, um, but just resting. And then again, just trying to engage as much as possible and try to pull as hard as you can to, to help you get out of that dead hang position. Uh, righteous good addition yeah i uh i'm glad you said it I, I i agree yeah if you can hang from the bar and try and get yourself into a, a strong banana you know a strong hollow hold you are going to be really impressed with how your your abdominals feel you're going to create uh and how much your lats actually have to be engaged mm-hmm. to uh to, to assist in that so it's kind of cool you might be seeing a a pattern with this how your like your lats and your core often work together to help move your arms and your legs, your limbs. So that's a strong point. Yeah, learning how to do strong holds, get a nice strong hollow hold while hanging from the bar. And you can practice hollow holds and hollow rocks is another exercise that I really like is uh, on the ground and just putting yourself in that hollow position laying on the ground. So your lower back is going to keep contact with the ground at all times. And your shoulders are going to come up like four to six inches and your feet come up that way as well. And you're just going to kind of balance on your lower back. You'll feel it in your core so hard. And if you try to rock back and forth um, like a boat, I guess, like you're, like a seesaw, then you'll it's – it's an incredible – deep core work. Yeah. It's like, that's just tough. It's really tough. I it's in, and, and 
most likely when you start doing that, if you've ever done it before, your lower back is going to start to arch and it's going to come off of the ground. So if that's the case, pull your knee into your chest to make sure that that lower back remains on the ground. Like that's how I do them. Cause they're so freaking hard and, and you know, I'm so fit, right, bro. So I, I like, I need to pull them yeah. into my chest and rock back and forth. And it, it, it really does pay off. Like you'll get done and you'll do 10 of them and be like, Oh my God. And that's a good way to practice that because, uh, one thing that will happen with these with pull-ups and how you'll see basically everybody do them is they kind of flail. Like they'll, they'll use their knees and their feet to kind of get them up and, and just help hoping is that they can get up at however, which way they can. So being able to hold that proper hollow position, is going to make it way harder to make it way harder, but that's why the bands are going to be important for you to start. Rich, what do you think is the, uh, are there benefits to both strict and to like the kipping rocking motion? The, the, the kipping pull-ups are interesting. I mean, it's like, are you talking like full on CrossFit kipping ones or just being able to kind of like pump your knees up and get, get a little bit more out of it? Well, I guess there is a difference between the two. So let's consider there to be three styles of pull-ups, like actual learning, the kipping motion uh-huh. kind of just, and then, then there's strict and then there's the in-between where you're like, kind of just like wiggling yourself up to get up to the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, it can kind of come down to sports specifics, but if you've ever done actual kipping pull-ups, it gives a really good, uh, like increased range of motion and you will be sore in different places than, than what you were in a regular pull-up. It'll kind of be in your chest a little bit more. If you're doing butterfly, it'll be in your bicep a lot more. Um, I do think you should have a required amount of strength before you are relying on these. And that's where, that's where there's so much hate uh, on kipping pull-ups and every, I can't like people are still doing this on like YouTube or like uh, Instagram. They'll be like seeing CrossFitters do kipping pull-ups. Be like, that's not, that's not a pull-up. That's not a pull-up, bro. It's like, yeah, no, but they're doing like a sport. Like they're trying to do it as fast as possible. Um, so I do think there's a benefit in terms of the sport specifics and in obstacle course racing, things are not always going to be strict. You're going to be able, you're going to need to be able to move yourself through space and have a little bit of coordination. And the, the, the kipping pull-ups do that. Like you can't just go into a gym and just do a kipping pull-up with it without ever practicing. Um, like it takes time to learn these patterns and figure out how to move your body through space. So, um, so yes, I do think that there is a place for them. How about yourself? Nice. Yeah, that was low hanging fruit. Totally. You got to learn how to do uh, do them strict. And once you can do like a bunch strict and you know you have strong, good form, you'll understand like what uh, a sturdy core feels like, what it's like to use your lats properly. Then you can start doing more of these swinging motions. You can feel how you have to wiggle your body to move like laterally across monkey bars or something like that. That's where like swinging your body about becomes super duper mm-hmm. valuable. So absolutely learn how to do them strict first and foremost and then start to wiggle yourself around to help improve you stay on the bar longer and do more reps because ultimately when it comes to monkey bars you just got to get across right and sometimes that takes long it takes long longer for some people than others so if you can hang there and be able to use your momentum to keep moving forward and 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 to break out of like you know mishaps um it's only going to benefit you like, yeah. And that's exercises that I'll, I'll have sometimes too, just like have people hang and have them like do hit uh, circles with their hips and go the other way around. And, you know, you don't necessarily even need to be that strong at a pull-up to get through um, monkey bars. Some people like don't even have a strict pull-up and can get through them. Um, and like, right. Cause they have, they have body awareness. They know how to swing their body. Totally. About. Totally. Absolutely. And like, it, it's a whole different myriad of, of like body, 
types that will do that as well. You figure, oh, grip strength and like hand size is going to be important. But if you can move your body through a certain way, like, you know, just using the the classic example of like Nicole Miracle, right? Like she's not big. I'm sure she is strong. I'm sure she could do a bunch of strict pull-ups. I don't know. But when she do- goes through obstacles, it's just smooth. Like she just knows how to use the momentum and there's no muscling of the of the obstacle itself. So being able to have that body awareness to, to get through it is really big. That's one of the arts that you learn from from lots of rock climbing. Yeah, she spent a lot of time on the wall, and the essence of that is we have to spend a lot of time up here. We have to be as efficient with our energy as possible. You know, you like you make a maybe you make a big movement that takes a lot of energy, but then you get a little bit of rest. You saw, um, I think it was, I think it was a Tahoe at the World Championships. She actually was resting while hanging from the the twist, yeah. right? And it's just like it's like the grip you're not over gripping. And I think that she would probably understand this better than most people. You know, if your hands are cold, you can't really feel them. You're just gripping as hard as you can fatiguing your grip. But she knew like, this is how hard I have to hold on here. I'm just going to shake out my other hand. I'm the body's relaxed breathing. And so, yeah, there's different factors to, uh, to being super energy efficient and getting your way across these, these obstacles. Yeah. She'll probably get through that and not like, sometimes I'll just try to muscle things so hard that the next day, like my hand hands and fingers <laughs> are sore from like three obstacles that weren't even that long. And I was just like, so tense. They had to get through Like she probably doesn't even get sore. She's probably like fine. Totally. <laughs> you, get, so, you get sore from like obstacle, like in your hands and forearms from a race. Not really. My fingers will get sore. I'm like what the fuck? I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm really excited to see how uh, picking up more. So I'm, I'm kind of doing a self experiment. I am, I'm going to see how fit I can get just by using a kettlebell and running and a pull apart. I'm not going to touch any other implements. I'm going to work specifically with a kettlebell. And the one thing that, because I already use them, but I'm kind of picking it up and being a little more regimented with it. Um, and the one thing that I'm noticing right now is it is actually more demanding on my form and my grip than any other part of my body. As I pick up the volume with it, yeah. So it'll be cool to see how that plays a role in further mitigating like grip fatigue on obstacles. Right, um, but like right. your pulling strength is already like top one percent in this sport, right? Like four thirty five, four thirty five. What's that? No, not not even uh, deadlift. Like you can do a one arm pull up. You can do lots of bar muscle ups. Like you have all the required strength, like that. Like you basically are in the same place that you are for your deadlift with your pull-ups, right? So you're like, there's no way that I'm going to ever need the strength or I'm going to lose all this strength that getting through these grip obstacles is going to be hard. <laughs> I'm too strong, dude. I'm you're too, too strong. strong. Seriously, like you can like, and that's where there's that, that difference here. And, and a lot of times with us who are in that elite category, we can really simplify things down much more and be like, I'm just going to get awesome at running. <laughs> like I'm just going to spend time on the trails because all the other stuff I know how to do and I can get through, but there's, there is a point where it's like, okay, we, every, people need to get through like the required things and just to, to get even to raise their ability to that level where it's like, yeah, running is going to make the most, give you the most bang for your buck. But like if you can't flip the tire or if you are failing obstacles, like we need to get you to a certain point of like what is acceptable <laughs> for, to do that. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? So I'll tell you, so I tell you what, we're about, about 15 minutes ago, I said we're going to wrap up pull-ups in about 15 minutes, right? So let's uh, let's spit out a r- little routine, a little progression for people to help them get to at least the bare minimum strength to help them complete all of these overhead obstacles. Mm-hmm. And yeah, where do you think that is? Where do you think – so we did, we gave a number for deadlifts and what, what do you think would be required? What do you think would be a fair number of pull-ups someone 
should be able to do? Well, you know, I would gauge this in, in two ways. There's if when it comes to just straight up pull-ups, I think that if you can do 10 really clean, strict pull-ups, you're probably strong enough to get across most rigs. Maybe if they're, they're wet, that might be a little bit more of an issue. Um, but that's where spending more time actually hanging on the bar comes into mm-hmm. play. And that's why I really, and also walk-off strength. And that's where I really enjoy Frenchies. Mm-hmm. Everyone that I work with does Frenchies. And for those of you that don't know what a Frenchie pull-up is, it is a, it's a progression of pull-ups with isometric holds within it. So you'll do a pull-up and you will hold yourself at the top of this pull-up, your chin above the bar, and you're going to hold it for five seconds, five long seconds, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Then you're going to go down, all the way down, straight arms. You're going to go back up, chin above the bar. This time you're going to lower yourself so your arms are at 90 degrees. And you're going to hold that one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Then you'll drop yourself back down to the bottom, all the way back up again. Last rep, coming back down. Your arms are going to be about 120 degrees. So they're not 90. They're not totally straight, but they're they're flexed. And these are three key positions, lock-off positions to hold yourself. So you can think of yourself going through a rig and if you have a straight arm, you're not going to be able to reach the next ring or reach the next rung. So by having a being able to hold a bent arm is going to give you ultimately better reach and more control as you move across an obstacle. And that's a, a really awesome exercise to help you gain those th- that type of strength. And I was actually doing some rig work this morning and I had like a ball, I had a, a nunchuck and I had a handle and each one of those required a different position to get through, right? Like the ball, force five. Uh, shout, shout out to force five, the ball I created myself, I, I drilled it through nice. softball, but the ball I, I needed to lock out a lot, a lot more, right? Like if I was overhead, like just my hand strength wouldn't do it. So that was like that chin over bar position. Whereas the nunchuck was kind of like 90 ish, maybe a little bit just uh, like more obtuse than 90 and where the, the, the ring I could just, Geometry. geometry again this is the geometry episode and where the ring i could be a little bit i could be at that 120 spot so like knowing to be strong in those positions and then you kind of have to know when to use those positions also is really helpful but first it is like being able to do them so that you're not just like it's like oh shit when i get something like this i just have 90 i just have to go 90 and that's the only way i can get through them and if i can't go 90 then mm-hmm. i'm going to fail so that's where a frenchie yeah. is awesome to get you through all those different positions so like I think Frenchies are probably a better bet than like a strict pull-up. Um, and actually, I think I think this is Yancey one that I that I use sometimes is like the a ten. They call he calls it like ten one. And I definitely use this for a lot of athletes I coach. Where it's like a ten second dead hang and then a one one pull up and then ten second dead hang for 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 max time. So then you can use your pulling strength under grip fatigue, which is um, a pr- a pretty cool uh, way to kind of build up some uh, endurance. That is a good one. All right, so now we have now we have like three metrics. It's like okay, regular strict pull ups. You should be able to do ten clean full extension pull ups. I think you should be able to do one good clean uh, Frenchie pull up because ultimately you're going to be spending like thirty seconds on the bar close to uh, with that Frenchie pull up. And for that ten one, how many reps do you think of those? You think you should be able to do to feel confident going across? Any oh rate? man, so for for guys, probably six or seven, just a little over a minute. Um, and for females, maybe three to four what do you think are you saying what's that no i was wondering if it would end up being different for women because they're lighter but that would still be an expression of their like power to weight ratio or strength to weight ratio women for pull-ups they're always just gonna it's just gonna be harder 
like just the way that uh, like the gravity in their bodies, the way things are constructed, like it is just always harder. So were you saying 10 strict for women too? Were you saying that as the same? Yeah. I mean, I didn't really differentiate when it came to, uh, to gender, but I, I think that 10 across the board is, is again, confident. You're not going to have any issues. I think 10 strict pull-ups for a female would be elite. That would put you in like an elite category of upper body strengths. I would think five is yeah. enough to get people through well, obstacles. Well, you know, I would agree under the circumstance that that individual, because like we were saying, uh, there's almost, there's like different aspects that go into helping you move across these rigs and move throughout these courses. And if you don't have the strength, that can be made up for with really good body awareness and having a very fluid swing. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you know, all of that, uh, that, that pendulum, that, that uh, centripetal force swinging you down. Uh, if that's smoother, that's less taxing on your grip, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. <laughs> um, and yeah, and that, that is ultimately the trump card for everything. Um, but I, I would differentiate between male and female on the actual pulls themselves. And like one Frenchie pull up, I think would be difficult for sure. I think that 90 degree position is really hard uh, for females a lot. That, that bicep strength ends up being the limiter a lot of times. Like they can get a lockout or they can get it to the 120, but that 90 is really tough from what I found. Word. Word. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's drop a, let's just drop one last progression for these pull-ups, right? If if you got, if you aren't doing any pull-ups right now, get those bands. uh, Or if you can't find the bands and you can't get them, put a chair next to your pull-up bar and bring your chin up to the bar and then drop your foot off the off the chair and just try to slow yourself going down. You might end up letting yourself down eccentrically very quickly. Well, that's all right. Do that 10 more times and see how you feel the next day. And uh, and pull that off a couple times a week, three times a week at mm-hmm. least. And then uh, the next step to that would be doing like three, five sets of like five reps of strong assisted pull-ups, powerful assisted pull-ups. So you, maybe you have that band um, or to help you go up to the bar or you can jump off the ground to help speed yourself up because there's this cool thing that happens it's uh it's similar to doing uh say an olympic movement with lightweight it's a power movement and the idea is to really just move the thing quickly so you might not be able to lift your full body weight however if you are putting your arms and your lats under tension and then you jump up while you're pulling yourself up you're gonna be it's gonna be very stimulating because you're moving those muscles at a high rate mm-hmm. of speed and, uh, and again, you can resist yourself on the negative and that's going to be great. So the next step after that, maybe, you know, maybe you're a month into this and you're able to start doing some really good pull-ups. You can get rid of that band. You don't need to do them assisted anymore. Now you can get a few reps, uh, unassisted. And then when you're done with those reps, do some isometric holds. Just try 10 seconds holding yourself at that 90 degree position. See if you can pull that off. Give yourself decent rest between these, by the way. You know, give yourself a minimum of a minute, two minutes, throw in some pushups in between. You're going to be a well-rounded person. <laughs> Uh, and the next step after this, uh, you're going to want to do those unassisted. And if you can do like 10 pull-ups at this point, and you're starting to get to more of that elite level, don't do 10, right? We don't want to build too much muscle. We want to stay in a low rep range, do your reps explosively. So if you can do a bunch of reps, do less, do them explosively, and then move into some isometric holes. And that's going to give you a lot of strength bang for the buck without you. It's going to, and it's going to minimize you putting on mass. All right. And if you can, uh, yeah, if you can do a bunch of reps, do them explosively and then start doing those isometric holds. And at this point in time, you're going to start getting into more Frenchies. Uh, the Frenchie pull up again is doing a pull up, holding yourself all the way at the top, isometric hold, chin above the bar, five seconds, let yourself down, go all the way back up, come down halfway, 90 second hold, 
or uh, 90 second hold, 90 degree hold. If you can hold that for 90 seconds, kudos. You Jeez. probably don't need to do anything else for a while. You're strong. strong <laughs> as hell. Go run. Uh, go run. <laughs> go all the way back down, all the way back up. Bring yourself back down. 120 degrees. Hold that for five seconds. And if you can do two reps of that, you're at a really high level. Um, you can start throwing on a weight vest, 10%, 15% of your body weight. I mean, for most of us, it's probably going to be somewhere around that 20 pound typical weight vest. And, uh, yeah. and really just cycle back through doing explosive reps uh, uh, doing Frenchies with that because again you don't we don't really want to get big we just want to get really powerful we want to get really really strong uh, we don't need to be doing super high volume stuff because we're not you know we're not doing CrossFit workouts where we need to do 50 pull-ups so totally there you have it. and I like that yeah, I like that you brought it back to adding weight to it as well. Like doing explosive and then once you get through everything, add weight to yourself and then do that whole progression back over again. Because you're right, you just want to keep it in that rep range. It doesn't need to you don't need to be doing reps of twenty or reps of fifty, like you said. So totally agree, man. I love that progression. I think that'd be super helpful. All right, peeps. So go lift heavy shit and uh lift yourself up to the bar and have fun with it. Yes, sir. What do you got going on this week? Are you going to be training for anything now? Yeah, man. So all of you here, we got the uh, the lawnmowers are outside cutting that grass. Got to cut that grass. Cutting that grass. Got to get cut. Got to cut that grass. Got to make that bread. Um, so <laughs> this weekend, I'm actually going to be hanging out with uh, Steve and Frankie again. We're going to go run nice. a trail, uh, 23, 24 miles, 6,000 feet of gain. We're going to do it pretty fast. We're doing. We're just like having fun doing some hard shit lately. And uh, and then on Sunday, we're going to go bike like 60 miles. We're gonna We're scouting out. A, uh, a thing that we want to do in the Catskills. We're going to try and connect all of the fire towers via bike. So that'll end up being, um, there's actually, uh, I haven't talked to him yet, but that's kind of inspired by uh, Ryan Kempson and um, uh, Aaron Newell because they did that thing in Vermont. They connected the 4,000 foot peaks in Vermont via bike. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was pretty rad. And there's a challenge around here where you go on fire towers, but everyone drives from one to the other. Like, that's lame. Let's bike from one to the other. Just bike it. So it'll be I like it. Yeah, we're just going to scout it out, you know, train up for that, something to do because who knows when we're going to be racing. So it's something to help motivate and give direction to the training, you know? I know. Yeah. I think I was telling you there's that, there's this one FKT here in Philadelphia that's like at the Wizahickon Park. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a 21 miler. It's like they call it four corners or whatever. You know, I think I'm just going to build my volume up and if nothing else, I'll just go after it. Yeah, boy. I want to be, I want to get involved because I got, now I got to go scout. But like I said, Little bit sweet baby Carl. He he likes to hike, so I'll take him out there to scout a little bit. He'll he'll be my uh, my my training partner, and uh, I think that's what I might I might do. I might just start running a lot of miles. I want to try to just put in a bunch and just. That sounds great. Because I figured there's a lot of time, so mine takes a long time to build aerobic stuff. So might as well just try to build and build. And if there's races, we can just sharpen up but uh i'm not counting on there being races i hear you you know you should do for to like help build volume is uh get some rollerblades and go out with carl on rollerblades just like have a nice Mm. fancy leash and dress up real nice and you start like no i'd have to i'd have to carry him (laughs) imagine rollerblading and carrying a dachshund that'd be be hilarious i just pictured him i just pictured him like dragging you but that's probably impossible because he would he weigh like five pounds He's very small. He's like maybe nine now. He wouldn't. It, it, I would be going really slow if, if Baby Carl was dragging you have me. To so get real low too, because like holding the leash up high, you're like pulling him off the ground. You have to get down low so you can really like dig those paws into the turf. He's got tough little paws. They dig. They dig. <laughs> They're for burrowing. So yeah, maybe I'll get some rollerblades if I'll carry him. Maybe I'll carry him out to the trail so I can scout that Wissahickon twenty-one four corners 
mile situation. Cause it doesn't seem bad. It's only like 900 feet elevation for 21 miles or something oh, like that. That's not a, that's not a, is it technical? Have you seen any of it? Yeah. It's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've run it before. It's just super rocky. Mm. It's really, it's really rocky. Um, dude, that'd be fun. That'd be exciting. Of course I'm saying that cause that's like totally my style. So like, yeah, that's what you want to do. Totally right. do, it. do it for me. Not for <laughs> yeah. Cause at this point it's like, well, like, I don't know, like I'm not going to be doing any short races. It doesn't seem like, I don't know what to do. So I just want to run a bunch of miles. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it seems fun, man. If it's fun, do it. That's that's what we're going to leave you on. Uh, take that life advice. If it's fun, do it for everything, all the time, always. Pretty much. All right, sweet, dude. Well, thanks for joining. That was great. I hope you got some good takeaways from that. Hit the gym. Get strong. We will talk to you guys later. Peace.